0: received a phone call from one of my buddies in New York City. He works in the arts community, which means he has to name drop about some globally famous people that he's working with on projects with right now. But after he did that, he got down to the reason for his phone call. He said, you know my mom, you know my sister in Pennsylvania and how how much I love them? I said, yeah. And he said, I've missed seeing them the last year and a half. And and I've been expecting to go visit them this summer. He's like, they won't get vaccinated. Said for some reason to them, taking an injection from Pfizer is giving into governmental mind control. And after a few choice words, he paused. And I could hear the, the grief inside of him. He said, what do I even say to them? Do I even go visit them? About a year ago, a middle-aged woman sat me down seeking some counsel. She said, I've always been so proud of my son. He's worked hard at school. He even got into a private college in the Midwest. She said, but Brian, he's dropping out. And you know why? Well, he went on YouTube, and there's some spiritual guru in, like, France or something. And so he dropped out so that he has time to meditate, as this guru has advised him. And he's saving up his money to travel to France so he can sit at this guy's feet. And she said to me, what the hell do I do with this? Also last year, a young man called me newly married, you know, it's supposed to be the season where it's exciting and fun and you don't have kids and carefree. He said, Brian, uh, my wife has gotten into, um, I I don't know what you'd say, political causes. She feels that she wants to change the world. And there's a part of me that thinks that's great. But now every weekend she's going to meetings and she's joining new organizations and, and she has new friends and And, you know, I try to be supportive, but I'm just not into it like her. And it feels to me like she's got her friends over here, and I've got my friends over there, and she's more passionate about this, and I don't care, and, and what do you do? Are you experiencing something similar to this? With someone that you you care about someone that you love. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling who, at least in your opinion, they're against what you would consider common sense. Or maybe it is a child who's making decisions that just to you seem to be ridiculous. Or maybe it's even your partner who's developing interests or values that you don't share. How's that going? That relationship. I mean, let me guess a little bit about how you've tried to handle it. Because you care about them, you've tried to just talk. You know, if I could just share my opinion, if I can, you know, forward them an article, they will see the light. And then they send some back to you, and you say, I I can't imagine there's a good person on the planet could believe this stuff. And so arguments ensue. But you love them, so you don't want to argue. So you, you apologize, and you kind of get a little more distant. And then the cycle just keeps repeating. Well, as Pastor Ryan said, we are in this teaching series that we're calling Counterintuitive Connections, Spiritual Wisdom for Messy Relationships. And as we have been saying, our relationships probably are the most important aspects of our lives. I mean, is there anything more important than your family or your close friends or the people you do life with? But we've also been saying, as much as our relationships matter, boy, are they freaking hard. And the scriptures do give us some insights, but at least for me, sometimes what I find here just, it seems strange. Now, the, the book of Romans is, is one of the most influential documents in the New Testament. And unfortunately, like today, way back when in the first century in the ancient city of Rome, there were a lot of tensions between the Jewish people, the small minority, and the Gentiles. A lot of tension. And maybe it was only the new church there where with brand new followers of Jesus, was maybe the only community where people's primary relationship, primary social network, consisted of Gentiles and Jewish people. And it was a mess. You see, the Gentiles, even though they were following Jesus now, they didn't grow up with the Hebrew Bible. Those stories didn't mean a whole lot to them. And kind of the, the Jewish pattern of being a separate people, to them seemed ridiculous. It was repressive. It was old school. It was bizarre. It was weird. Where the Jewish people were the small minority. And to them, the Gentiles had these very easy lives where they were comfortable, but they the Gentiles seemed too loose morally and spiritually. The way they lived didn't seem consistent with a holy God. They were offended. And so these relationships were messy. And it's in this context that we find this guy, Paul, who's kind of the the main figure leading the early Jesus movement. And in this book of Romans, this large letter, he writes, we find in chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. Paul says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Verse 7, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. It seems to me there's kind of three dominant approaches that we tend to take when it comes to our most intimate, personal, most important relationships when we really disagree on important things even matters of what's, of what's right and wrong. So the first approach that some of us take is we, we feel called to fight the good fight, if you will. There's kind of this mindset that there's clearly right and wrong in the world, and for me to be a good person, it's my calling to let everyone else know what is right, and more importantly, to let them know what is wrong. This is what it means for me to be ethical. And there could be some upsides to this approach. These kinds of people bring change in the world. But man, it could be rough on relationships. If you're that kind of person, God bless you, but you can be a lot to the people in your life. There's a second approach that sometimes people take, and that I'll call kind of live and let live. This is from someone that you know, they've probably had a lot of chaos in their life, a lot of drama, and they just want peace. They're not trying to change people, and they don't want anybody to try to change them, right? They just want no drama in their life. It's good vibes only, baby, kind of a approach. This can also be difficult on your relationships, because a lot of people get amped up about a lot of things. And if the only people you can relate to are people that are very calm all the time, your social network will get very small. But I think there's a third approach that we could take. Again, reading from Romans 14. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So this third approach I'm going to call kind of broken beauty, if you will. How's that for a phrase? And it's it's based on this assumption that every human being possesses something about them that reflects the goodness and beauty of our Creator. Everyone. Everyone has something about them that that mirrors ultimate goodness. But no one is God. And so everyone's kind of broken. And so that means just as everyone reflects something about God's goodness and beauty, everyone also has things about them that are kind of off, if you will. And so what it means to have any kind of relationship is to say, I value you. I care about you. I appreciate all the good things that I see about you. But I also expect that you're going to be different than me. And I fully anticipate that there are going to be some things about you that I find difficult or disappointing. This is what it means to be in relationship. And so if we are close, I value you, I care about you, but there's things about you I'm just going to have to leave to God to sort out. not going to try to change my dad or my sister or my husband, but I'm going to stay in relationship to them. Now, assuming there's something to what I'm calling broken beauty, I want to describe, at least in my opinion, a few implications. They're, they're Brian's opinion, so you can disregard if you want. But what might this mean, okay? If this viewpoint is accurate number 1 it means you are weird you are normal to you but you are strange to almost every other person it means that most people are not like you and so you should expect that there are things that you care about that that matter deeply to you causes that you feel called to be involved in, that other people who love you really won't care. And they won't be into it. And that's okay, because they're probably into some things that you are not. This is part of being in relationship to people. You know, it's interesting. Therapists also say that one of the signs that someone is struggling is they need everyone else around them to agree with them. Number two, remember, powerful people are literally trying to pull your relationships apart. I find I have to remind myself of this all the time. I mean, YouTubers and Instagram influencers and national politicians have a vested interest in pulling your relationships apart. What do I mean by that? Well, these kind of people have learned that if they can tell you that their cause or their values or their platform is always a matter of life or death, guess what happens? People give them more money, they get more subscribers, people vote for them. But the only way or one of the implications of them doing that means they get you geared up to the point that you're trying to convince everyone else you know to think like you. Powerful people are trying to pull your relationships apart. Number three, of course some things are clearly right and some things are clearly wrong and are even worth offending others over. But do not automatically trust your initial perspectives on these matters. I want to be clear, I do think there is right and wrong and things of ultimate importance. I am not one of the nihilists from The Big Lebowski. But we are a broken beauty. We are not God. You and I do not naturally see things accurately. Yes, there are figures in the Bible. There are maybe one or two people even in this room who are called by God to publicly announce what is righteous and what is evil. But if you know anything about the scriptures, these kinds of people didn't didn't come up with their opinions by reading something on Facebook or attending a seminar and then speaking for God. They spent weeks, months, years of their life fasting. They often lived alone choosing lives of chastity to focus more on the spirit than their bodies. They prayed consistently. They studied the scriptures. They studied the history of Israel, the history of other cultures. They normally were not excited to be a mouthpiece for God. They only did it because they felt like they had no choice. This came from years of spiritual practice, not simply scrolling through their phone and responding to other people. There is a difference. Number four, But I want to be very clear, abuse should never be tolerated. If you are in a relationship where someone is putting hands on you, get out now. If you're having a hard time, talk to Pastor Ryan. He will try to help you. If you are in a relationship where someone is threatening to put hands on you, get out now. If you are in a relationship where someone seems hell-bent every day to tell you how terrible you are, you probably want to get out of that too. I want to be very clear. However, if you're in a relationship with someone who says, "Mm, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. If you're in a relationship with someone who says, I know you see God that way, and fine. I don't. I see God this way. If you're in a relationship with someone who's like, I think you think that is the solution to our culture's problems, but I think you're off. I think these are. That's not abuse. These are probably people that you need to stay in relationship with. Number five, you need people who are different from you in your life. You need them. If we are all a broken beauty, having something about God's goodness reflected in our life while being a little off, that means that there are good gifts from God that I will only receive from people who are very different than me. Different background, different ethnicity, different personality, different political views even at times. You know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld said he, he always imagined that when he had children, uh, that they would be just like him, but nicer and more talented. And then he had them and realized, actually, they are very different than him. I have four kids myself, and I love them all, and one of the things I can tell you is not one of them is like me. If you are parenting young children right now, I know you think you loved your parents, but they were kind of weird, but you and your friends have figured it out, and your kids will now grow up to be like you and see how your generation had the light. It's not going to happen like that. No matter what your values or beliefs are, as your children get older, they will be different than you. And they have this special talent. It's a laser beam where they can point into all of your weak spots that you don't know are there. If you want to become the kind of person that as you get a little bit older and your children still love you and appreciate you, you need to practice now valuing people who are very different than you. You can disagree, you can see their faults, but still valuing them. Then, number six, it is okay if there are some things that you don't talk about, even with people that you love. It's okay. You probably at some point need to have a conversation so everyone's clear where you are, but then it's okay to not talk about that. I've been blessed to have a best friend since I was 19. We were best men in each other's weddings, we talk a couple of times a week on the phone. And for middle-aged men, that's kind of different. It's it's a blessing. He knows everything about me. I know everything about him. And as much as he's been a best friend to me for 25 years, we've got like two things that we've disagreed we never talk about together. Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary. Again, like I said, four kids. And as we were making plans for dinner, my, my wife said to me, Sounds like a good time, but we're not talking about this. Relationships are like this at times. Your friends and your partners are not God. They reveal something about his broken beauty, but they are not him. It's okay if there's certain things that you just agreed to not talk about. Maybe the greatest film director ever, Stanley Kubrick, made his last film was about a couple who toked up a little bit, a husband and wife, and decided to tell each other everything. You can guess, it was a horror film. (laughs) Years ago, I was attending a work conference, and I showed up late like I typically do, and I was looking around trying to find an open table, and I saw one, But Tom was sitting there. And Tom is loud, and Tom is rude, but even worse, Tom has all the wrong views and beliefs about everything. So I saw that seat, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to lean up against the wall. I'm fine. I I can do this for an hour and a half. I can make it through. But as I'm scanning the room, as the seminar is going on, as I'm leaning against the wall, my friend Jim comes in, and he was also late. But he sits down next to Tom. And I can see across the room they're chit-chatting, they're laughing, they're having a good time. So at one of the breaks, I see Jim and I say, hey Jim, you're, you're with Tom. Are you guys friends? Yeah, we're friends. I'm like, you're friends with Tom? Do you know what Tom believes? Do you know what Tom doesn't believe? He's like, oh yeah. I think he's wrong about everything. But what does that have to do with us being friends? Back in Romans 14, verse 9, Paul said, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So Paul is claiming that Jesus of Nazareth is the model that you and I are to follow. The one that we should be like. And if you know his story in the New Testament, it is a series of relationships with people who didn't get it at all. I mean, Peter and he were boys. They were as close as anyone. And there was a time when Jesus said, you know what, you are following Satan, Peter. That's what he thought of him. But they stayed in relationship. And then at Jesus' worst moment, when he's being unjustly condemned, when he's tortured, when he's sentenced to death, Peter even denies he knows him. And yet Jesus stays connected. On the cross, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive these people. They they just don't know. I love them. They just don't understand. And then after he resurrects out the tomb, Jesus seeks out Peter maybe this is what relationships are like. Like Jim and Tom, like Jesus and Peter. Seeing the value of someone and staying connected with them while being very aware of where you think they're wrong and you disagree with them. The late therapist and rabbi Edwin Friedman said, I eventually came to define my marriage counseling, no matter what the cultural mix, as trying to help people separate so that they would not have to separate. What's he saying? It's kind of tricky. He's saying he realized that the way that people can have ongoing marriages is if they can separate, meaning... That as an individual, I have my own beliefs, I have my own values, I have my own sense of self-worth that is not based on if you agree with me. That is not based on if you affirm all of my values. And if I am content in myself, at least according to Friedman, then you can have a healthy relationship. You don't have to separate permanently. But he said, if you need your spouse, to make you feel good about who you are, if you need your partner to validate your existence, if you need your partner to be a mirror of everything you think and believe and care about, your relationships will be a disaster. Trying to help people separate so that they would not have to separate. You know, my, my friend Jim who lives this vision of broken beauty relationships, not just with Tom, but also with his wife. One point he found out his wife was having an affair with his next-door neighbor. Eventually he found out that actually his wife had had a number of affairs. And yet he stayed with her. And if you would ask him how he did that, he would say, well, it was incredibly difficult at first. But it was also simple. It was clear to me that she was broken, and her brokenness had nothing to do with who I was or wasn't. She herself was broken. But I saw beauty there as well. There was a reason I fell in love with her. There was a reason I married her. But most of all, he said, I learned that my self-worth is not dependent on how my wife relates to me. I know things are off in her life but my trust is in my creator. I find my value in being loved by my connections with him. And he is my model of how to relate to people. So I can stay. Who do you love? Who are you trying to love? Who is driving you crazy? Who are you connected to that what they believe or what they value is deeply concerning to you? What might it look like for you to be separate from them so that you don't have to ultimately separate